0: Hey guys, well, welcome to another Known Experience podcast. Uh, it is my pleasure today to be sitting here with my buddy John and also Justin McRoberts all the way from the West Coast, which I just returned from yesterday, actually. I was in San Francisco area. Uh, Justin and I kind of connected way, way back in the beginning of my coffee journey.
1: Way back.
0: Yeah, yeah, way back. Uh, I don't know, 15, 15 years and and now we're here. But he he's he's one of those guys. When when John and I were talking about who we wanted for the first ten guests, I was like, I would really like Justin because he's he's just one of those guys that has a lot to say, and it usually has worth, right? And he's pretty concise. <laughs> so I try. He, he would be a good guy uh, to that could offer a lot. So welcome, my man. It's good to it's good to have. Happy here. to be here, dude. Thanks for having me. Sincerely. Yeah. Absolutely. John, it's always good to see you, my friend.
2: Good to be here. Good to see you. Justin and I were just uh, catching up because we both worked in the music industry in the same space in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And uh, it's it's always fun to see where life goes from there. But uh, great to see you again. And just also to say, I've uh, it's been um, great to watch your journey. And I, you just said a lot of things that have been really refreshing mm-hmm. to me at a, at a season in my life where I felt like I, I wasn't sure if I had a tribe and, yeah. uh, to hear people say things that you, Oh, it, them too. That's, that's really yeah, awesome. Good. So thank you for I what you that. do in that. Yeah.
0: So, so what, what, you know, I, you post almost every day, it'll be five lines and it started, I want to say about a year ago. And yeah. I don't know if I'm right, uh, but
1: a little more than that, but yeah, was, okay, a while ago. Yeah.
0: So was that, is that on purpose, right? In a world that's kind of just throwing a lot of content, you wanted to really condense it and say, here yeah. it is, think about it. But it's just
1: a, a little. Yeah. So there's a ton there. So th- okay. th- So I talk a lot. I always have. So when I, when, you know, I, back when I met you and when, when John and I met forever ago, I, I was playing a lot of music. And if I was, if I was playing a sixty to seventy-five minute set, I was probably talking for like thirty-five minutes yes, at least. Yeah, right. right I'm a storyteller, right. and yes. that's not bad. If you do it well, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I've come to for me personally is, um, I know what it is that I want to say, and I just get used to talking, and so like adding words becomes just—it's sort of the natural. I've done this, and so you add mm. a little extra, and then you add a little extra. So like. And we all know this, like the same story you used to tell that was like a four-minute story is now this 15-minute thing and there's a <laughs> dragon in the middle of it. Like, where, where did that come from? Um, the personal practice was, what are you actually trying to say? Mm-hmm. So that if I have more of a elaborate story, that's great, but I know what it is. I wanted to learn to boil things down to like, this is more concise. Yeah. Secondly, I, I don't have a ton of time. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to like, once in a while, I'll read something longer form. And so if I want to meet people where they are and be online, I need to, I want to be able to say like, here's a thing, this takes a moment uh, for you to, to get into your brain, which actually goes to the last thing. What I've come to figure out, believe now, figure out believe is like, I can do everything within my power to bring the best of what I've got in, in story in teaching, maybe in music, a little less that now. But the real ballgame is what's going on in the hearts, of the minds, souls, lives of listeners, readers, like it's what's going on in you that counts. Mm. And when I talk too much, it's almost always because I'm trying to control the outcome instead mm. of trusting the people I'm talking to. So instead of me trying to take someone from point A all the way to point G and and every stop in between, I'm learning to plant just this is the terrible way to say this because it's overwrought, but like you just plant a little seed, pour a little water on and and tr- like actually trust the process happening in the lives of people who are reading what I'm doing, who are listening to what like it's what's going on in you that matters. So limiting that was yes, it was it was a discipline for me. So I'd stop talking so much. It was a way to meet people where they're at because people consume things more that way. But really it's about trusting the people I'm trying to talk to and the work that's already happening in their lives mm-hmm. and just being a small part of it. And instead of thinking like, I can control the damn thing.
2: You know, mm-hmm. as a as a reader, like I just see where that gives me so much more room to kind of walk into what you're talking about or what you're saying and fill it in with my own experience or what I'm learning or or what it's speaking to me, as opposed to you kind of like, uh, dissecting everything that it should mean uh yep. to me. So it, it's mm-hmm. it's attractive to me as a reader because it gives me a chance to be more um involved in it. And yeah. But I, I wonder how that translates to our relationships with others as well. Yeah. You know, like how much are we filling up the space too much and it doesn't give them room. And so I want I've got one of your books here. Okay. And, cool. you, and I love your May eyes. Um yeah. They're they're kind of prayers. They're kind of um, reflections. Yeah. Um, but you you've got one. I'd love to hear you uh, expand a little bit on 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 yeah. what this means to our relationships. With others. You said, "May I have enough faith in the truth that I happily Ooh. abandon the temptation to
1: sell it." Yeah, <laughs> that's a good yeah. <laughs> um, so the with, the place that comes from uh, personally is, I mean, I, 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 pastored, helped pastor church for 20 years. And, um, this is going to go right back to the conversation we were just having. Um, if I have to convince you of the truth of something, um, what I what I mostly mean by that, by convincing you of the truth of something, is I've i probably talked you into something you haven't naturally come to. And there there can be some value to that if we're talking about kids. Like we're <laughs> talking about children. And uh, but even even that, like if you tell your kids, like, like, listen, you know, if you touch the stove or if you, you know, whatever on your bike, you can tell someone that, but it's really like it's when you actually touch the stove it's when you eat it on your bike it's like um my my propensity is because i love people and i do like i really love people i want you to know the the truth about your life about god about relationships i want you to know the the truth <sighs> but i if i have to convince you of something that Either I'm I might be missing what's actually true about your life, and I'm like I'm injecting something. So I'm just like I'm I'm selling you this thing. It's I'm I'm acting like I'm acting like Pepsi or Nike. It's like this is the thing you want, and I, yeah, I'm like that's less fruitful in someone's life. Um, if if the truth, uh, in relationship, is of value, <laughs> it is it is of value because it adds clarity to the life you're living. Uh, And my propensity has historically been to muddy that process up by trying to tell you what I think is true about you and it doesn't grow out of your own soul. You'll believe me and that's fine. But as an adult, I have to believe me. I have to believe me. Like believing you for a season like is super important maybe because I'm, let's just say 24 and stupid because I was and weren't we all. Uh, And I had to believe other people in the long run, I have to believe what's going on in me. I have, I have to believe myself. Um, and I, I don't want to try to convince people of those things in the long run. That's really where that comes from. It's like, I I, I want to, I, here's what I think is happening. I'm going to, again, I'm going to plant these seeds, uh, in relationship and community. Uh, I'm going to do what I can storytelling and tell as best as I can, the truth, but really, uh, it's, what's going on in you that, that actually counts. And I don't want to try to sell that.
2: Hmm.
0: So that kind of ties into something I've been thinking about too, and pieces that I've read and parts I've listened to um, of you in the past. You know, we all we all start life uh, with somewhat of a, you know, we we have an identity, but our parents impart a lot of our identity in our youth, right? Who we are, and kind of at least a springboard for our identity. You you had a a difficult path, I would say. You seem to really in uh, your your midlife now so you've had some time but you've reconciled that and it seems to be a piece of you that you've really used right john and i talked before you were on about not focusing on why is this happening to me right more about what am i doing with it right like mm-hmm. shifting from why did it happen to me okay well it happened to me yeah. <laughs> so what am i going to do with
1: it so could you yeah. kind of share about that part of your life and yeah um so my you know i, I had a pretty uh positive for the most part upbringing at least early uh like I had both my parents into my 20s a lot of folks don't and they're both pretty great people my mom's still around um in my mid-20s early to mid-20s I lost my dad uh to depression suicide um and he was a guy who um, and there's a lot to be said here about like what depression actually is and all that. But he, mm. um, he was pretty well convinced by the 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 environment around him that he was. And this is this is cliche now because we talk a lot about it, which is good and bad. Right. He was convinced that the dominant value of his life was what he could produce. That was like he that he could financially provide, like all the things that like attack men at like sort of our like like our core emotions like i want to provide i want right. to make an impact in the world i want to do something positive all of these things are really good he really deeply identified with those things and um and when his at least for a moment when his when he was not for a season capable of providing the way he wanted to provide of caring for me the way he wanted to care for me and then making the impact culturally, uh, with work that he was making, he lost himself and ended up like he used a handgun to kill himself. Um, that marked, that marked me in a number of ways. One, like I really, really resonated with him. Like I always did. Like I love my mom and she and I are very, very similar. I really get though the drive like my mom's a my mom a caretaker like did mm. like hardcore caretaker she'll love you to death. My dad was someone who um once he once he bought the vision for something like he was gonna put the hours in to make it happen. You want to make a neighborhood? We moved into a neighborhood. My dad wanted to have neighbors because they had never had neighbors. Both my parents grew up in like dirt poverty, like legit actual poverty. Like my mom lived in seventeen homes between the age of twelve and and eighteen. Uh, my dad didn't know most of his family. Alcoholism, mm. workaholism, like can't does, does like has no core memories of like her had no core memories of like where they lived, uh, like doesn't have doesn't remember addresses like through like up into his teen years like it was bad. So when they moved to a neighborhood, my dad was like, "We're gonna have neighbors." And so my dad was the guy who like like planned parties, and so by the time I was in my you know. You know, my my preteen years, there were like four or five parties throughout the course of the year, the whole neighborhood would come out. It was because my dad would organize and execute that stuff. Same thing. He would show up at like all of his work environments as the guy who like might have graduated high school. We don't really know. Um, went to the Navy, like just worked his way up the ladder because he, he would show up and he would like execute and he would like what needs to be done, let's mm-hmm. get it done, and then let's push just beyond that so the folks you know, folks, talk, you know, Seth Godin talks about, you know, becoming someone who's indispensable. My dad was always the person who was indispensable. He was the guy that's like, well, thank God John's here doing this, making the neighborhood party work, making the business better. He's super, he super deeply identified with, the, with his capacity to make things happen. I really get that. Mm-hmm. So when that snuck up behind him and convinced him uh, of the things that convinced him of, convinced him of it shook me to reevaluate how I saw my dad. So, like a lot of dudes, uh, my dad was a hero figure in my life. like not that he could do no wrong, but um, if that man could be taken down right um like that, um uh, wow, right like what what on earth could have like undone this hmm. this Goliath this like what what could have undone him? And I've spent a lot of years since then unpacking not just again this is part part of the truth, and not just what was true actually about him, but like what am I going to do with the legacy he passed on to me? Because right. I can't just stand back here and admire it and be like, well, what a great guy. I hope I get to honor him with my life. Like, mm, mm-hmm. There are things in here for me to learn. Like I want to I want to live that way, but I don't want to live entirely that way. So I spent a lot of time unpacking, like, w- w- is there an end to like the The drive to to make things great, like is there a limit to that? Like how do I do that well? Is that like what are the things? do I pay attention to my weaknesses and like try to like work just on my strengths? So there's a lot that comes with that story, yeah hmm.
0: yeah, man, i i I think. Again, as a man,
1: I'm 44. How old are you? I don't know. 50. I'll be. I'll be 50 at the end of the year. I'm just starting yeah. to. Say, I'm starting to say 50 now, so I'm used to it by the time it actually it. happens.
0: Yeah, but I think it's one of those things in a man's life, right? Where I thought you kind of dealt with um all that the issue of. Uh, who your dad is, who am I, what's the truth in it, how to honor like the legacy that's all done with in your youth. Right. As I, kind of how I preface the conversation, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, they kind of shape it when you're young and it's a springboard and, and you're good when you're in your adult years, but it really does affect. I think for me in this season of life, it it's affected me more now than when yeah. I was 24. Yeah. You know, And those are the conversations I'm, I'm having is it's like this, this second, um, undoing. And I always saw it as, Oh, you know, midlife, maybe this is like part of that midlife crisis. Right. Um, which seems so simplified and kind of it's, you know, Oh, get a, get a a fast sports car and a a side chick You know, that's so simple, but that was like the caricature I had of midlife. Right.
2: Like, no, it's way worse. It's way worse than that. (laughs)
1: It you might know, include that, but it but
2: yes. right. That is, but, yeah right. But existential crisis or get a sports car, uh yes. take your pick. Yeah,
0: but exactly. Uh, you know, all that to say is, it's like this second. um I feel like I'm 18 again, 16 to 18, when you're kind of changing a lot, but in a different
1: way, right? Of <laughs> unpacking all of this legacy and, the well, you, move from and- the, you move from the classroom emotionally into the field. Like it's literally, I mean, the sports analogy. You move from like watching game film. Mm. And like breaking down like this is, and then actually like being like on the field looking at a defense and being like, oh, oh, like wait, that. crap! Like that's it's a completely <laughs> different experience. Like it's one thing. Like I'm you know doing the quarterback thing here. Like it's one thing. Like look at the game film, watch the way the defense is set up. But the cameras at this angle, you can see the entire field. It's a completely different thing when you're actually under center and you're looking out at the defense, yeah. and where you thought the linebacker yeah. was. Like did they shift or did I get that wrong? And then the game is always moving faster than it does when you're watching from altitude. Literally, literally the difference, like being you come to the end of one's adolescence. That's what adolescence is for most of us is other people, for the most part, telling us where to stand, what to do. You come to the end of your adolescence and suddenly in adulthood, like you're not watching game film anymore you are quite literally the one under center you're the one who's going to call the play and like the game moves faster than it did <laughs> like when you were wa- when you were watching the film uh and it it's it is a completely different learning experience because you because there the and some of this is true and some of it is not because when you're a kid even if you're a kid into your early 30s which some people are um your the consequences for your actions have only so much ramification and you can still move home with your parents or something right right like there's still there's still like like there's you know if you blow it you've got this this and this you've got some fallback by the time like you're you own the house and your kids are watching and like you know and and you're more isolated because you're not surrounded by this is so many of us you're not surrounded by a community of friends who are constantly cheering you on because you don't spend you know, three nights a week around your social club anymore the way you did when you were 24. Like, now you're more alone. There's more to lose. There seems to be more at stake. Like, that's a very, very different uh, experience of choices and and consequences. When, you know, there's a story in... uh, I think I sent you a digital copy of the the, the book I'm I'm dropping in May. And there's this story about my dad and I, he invited me... Um, his first like, uh, like adult adult job, uh, he started this uh, this thing. It was a consolidation firm for for air travel. So it was like in in a way it was a little bit like what Expedia um, mm. does, where like he would he would quite like there was no internet back in the day. Like he would develop relationships with travel agents in the area. And then he would consolidate, like, these are the best deals with these particular airlines and people could just come to m travel, my dad's thing, and like figure out what the best deals were. Like he was just doing that, like, but like, it was a great idea, like way the hell back before you could do it online. So he was building this thing and he knew that it was important and he knew he was really excited about it. And he was completely by himself. Like he didn't have anyone. He's he was like out on his own, this sounds familiar to so many of us, has a great idea doesn't ha- doesn't have a team yet. He's gonna so I'm young and stupid. like I I'm, I'm probably, gosh, I don't know, like 14 maybe at the time of the story. So he's like, I'm and he's gonna go set up his office. So I'm in the office <laughs> helping my dad. Put together like this like these envelopes and he's gonna mail out all these envelopes to all these like big wig business folks in the travel industry like I've started this thing I'm gonna try to revolutionize the way we do ticketing blah 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 and I'm just being a I- I'm just being a kid right I'm looking stamps and bam, bam, and all the stamps are like crooked all over the and my dad like comes in, he gives me a simple task. He comes in, he sees like the stack of envelopes a little, they're like, you know, it's a mess. And he, he, um, he didn't like lose it, lose it. But like, he immediately was like, like, he said, damn it. And like freaked out, grabbed them all from me. Um, he would, because like, he he's out, like, it's one thing to have the idea as a young person, I want to try this new thing, but for him to like, go out on a limb, and like start this business on his own. And he doesn't have anybody, he's got his son. He's trying to include his son in this thing. And I'm like, like putting stamps on it like it's some stupid school project. Yeah. Um, what my dad wanted to do is he wanted to build something that was going to sustain his life and sustain our, like it was sustain our family. Um. He had banked on the idea, like, cause he wasn't wrong that I'd I'd done something stupid right that was dumb I, that's not wrong but what freaked him out wasn't like my son did a dumb thing what freaked him out was that he had he had convinced himself and was convinced that what was going to matter that the real ball game was to build something that's going to last build something that's immovable build something that's yeah ultimately build something that's going to last forever mm. like that's that was the thing you build a thing you build a business it takes care of your life uh long long term um, what I've come to, and this is part of the the, the learning uh, curve that we talked about a minute ago, is you never really get to do that. You never really get to build anything that lasts. Nothing you build will ever actually last long-term. What will always matter, always, and this sounds so cliche and so silly, but it's actually true. What will always matter are the relationships you develop with the people you build it with. Uh, the relationships you forge, if the thing works, because if the thing works, it won't be the product that actually matters. It'll be the connections that that product helps forge between people. It'll always be about the relationships. And mm-hmm. so he was right to be frustrated that I was doing it poorly. But he was missing the point that like the more – I know this now. I mean I was his kid. Was his kid. Right. Like the most important thing in the moment wasn't that he was going to get this business off. the It doesn't exist anymore. The business doesn't exist anymore, but I do. Like I was the most important thing in the moment. And instead of like being like, damn it. And then taking all the things away from me, it could have been like, Hey, 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 listen, this is going to cost me about 75 bucks to fix, but let me tell you what we're doing and why we're doing it this way. Like mm-hmm. that could have been the moment. Right. Because I was the thing that was important though. You never get to build the thing that lasts. You get to develop relationships with the, with the products that you build with the ideas that you have, These are some of the things I've learned about like, okay, like these things matter, but they matter because the relationships in them matter, not because the thing you're building matters.
2: Yeah, that really requires some, uh, some mindfulness. It requires a lot of work, right? (laughs) To, to, to uh, get to a place where you're not triggered by things like that in a way. I mean, you know, the secondary part is your, your success of your business requires people opening these envelopes and having confidence that you're legitimate and you have entrusted a 14 year old. So that's, 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 that's worth saying as well. But, <laughs> <It's not true.
1: laughs>
2: but, uh, but you know what, what you're describing, what your dad did. And I, I found myself many times reacting to things in the moment triggered by something just, and, uh, you know, what's inside comes out eh, without a lot of filter or a lot of thoughtfulness. Um, do you have any suggestions for like something Sean and I want to do better and help people do better is, is to live mindfully, live thoughtfully of the people around us and to kind of slow things down so that we can respond rather than just react to people. What, what are your suggestions or thoughts on that? What's, what's helped you be better at that?
1: Yeah. So my, my personal journey begins with like, I, you know, I have the same basic, like I said, basic DNA, same emotional structure as my dad. So like the things I do matter, I have that quick temper, like I'll just sort of snap at stuff. So the one is like having the humility, knowing knowing my history and knowing that injury happens, knowing that, that my mistakes cost other people, having the humility to uh, go to folks and say, okay, So specifically people I've hurt, namely my kids or, you know, people who have, like, who are working with, with me going and saying, uh, here, here's what I, here's why I was ticked and, Mm -hmm. and here's what matters in that moment and breaking it down, uh, the humility to first and foremost, apologize for things, uh, but also like recast vision. So if someone does step on my toes, uh, and, and like, I'm running a thing, it does matter. Like I would like, I'd like them to to nail this thing. But here, here's why. Like it's uh, and to sort of reinvite them in the vision. That's that's primary. So having the humility to actually prioritize the people around me and the relationships are developing. The other one is, um, for me personally, the practice of Sabbath keeping. So I, I, fifty two days a year, I don't work. Everything I do matters. Everything, and uh, I've been independent um, in all my business dealings (laughs) since 1999. So like, if I'm not working, no one's working and I take 52 days a year that, and just, I pull them off the counter and I'm not working, which slows, literally slows my pace down so that I have more perspective on my life. Like you don't just get it. You don't just like think your way into having more perspective. You have to right. practice your way into having more perspective. So we're talking about if we're talking about altitude and we're talking about pace. Man, everything literally everything is like sports. Uh, everything is like <laughs> no joke. Like you have to practice your way into that. If like if your if your throwing motion is like is not right, you can't think your way into throwing the ball differently. Like you can't. You have to practice your way into it. So what Sabbath keeping does is it takes for for me, like the most some of the most important stuff I get to do with my time. Like I love my job, jobs. I like I love the stuff I do. It's some of the most important stuff I get to do. Um, and it and it contextualizes that in the in the context of a a life that's bigger than work. The only way for me to get there, is by not doing that work. Uh, so Sabbath keeping has been super key to that i was on a um this is another story from the same book i could tell the big long version of it at some point but like i I ended up at this retreat for artists and the guy running the retreat said to all these artists in the room said you know i'm gonna i'm gonna assume if you're here uh it's because you love what you do everyone nods he says if you want to love what you do and do what you love long-term, you're going to have to learn to not do it. Because the most burned out people I know are people who love what they do uh, and cannot stop. And it is a really dark place to resent the things you love. Mm. Like, oh, damn. Because that thing that I love doing will eventually, just like my dad, uh, it'll steal life from me. And now I'm in this like weird contentious relationship with loving works in my life. So in order to really reduce the, the pace of my life, in order to have altitude, in order to do the things I love, I Sabbath keep. 52 days a year, I pull work off the calendar. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's key. You know, I've, I've been working for myself for uh, 14 years now. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's uh, when you're in that space doing something you love, your, your life and work are kind of really connected, right? There's no, there's no clear delineation between one and the other. And part of that's on purpose, right? I, I I want my family to love the community. I'm, you know, my work is in building, right? Yep. But so it's, it's not an easy thing, but it is critical. You know, I, I, I think that is, uh, that's invaluable to really set up those kind of firm parameters. Um, because what you love can, t- can turn on you hundred <laughs> <100%. Yeah. laughs> so.
1: percent. And it's a pitfall because you get into the, you, you start passion projects and they just feel yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it, it's, it's like that, you know, it's like that fiery relationship. Like, I'm sure that feels great at the very beginning, yeah. but also like all your bros aren't wrong when they're like, dude, you've disappeared. <laughs> like he was like, right, right, like right. I'm sure she's awesome, but like we haven't seen you in three weeks <laughs> right. um so there, there's something about that as well that like it'll the thing we care about, the things that we're most drawn by still need to be contextualized by like a whole life. And really the only way, the only way to contextualize our lives is by removing ourselves from the things that dictate our schedules, removing ourselves from the things that like we, you know, most care about or feel most responsible to so that the stuff I do is always smaller than who I am.
2: So, I mean, you guys are both entrepreneurs, you're both creatives. So I just want to translate this for a moment for the uh, (laughs) non-artist, non-creatives, non-I-get-to-pursue-my-passions. Uh, people that are out there working as a slave to the corporate industrial complex Yep. <laughs> because <laughs> it doesn't listen to you when you say I just need some time to self-actualize oh, yeah. so nope. um so um yeah I mean I, I've I've found that like like you've said you've got to practice things to become uh, to yeah. change right like it's not just like saying I'm not going to be like my dad for 20 years is not going to make you different than your dad correct right? and and hyper-focusing on that will probably just make you continue to to be like it but uh yeah i mean there's some thing i've found it it forcing myself to schedule things that are personally helpful right like as far as internally it's it's easy to schedule things that are like externally helpful you know like exercise or you know working on side projects or even like home projects but to uh if you want to live in a in a space where your mind and your heart are slowed down like you said you've got to slow down or at least make spaces where you do slow down Mm -hmm. whether that be like a personal retreat time or just going for a walk I think the the um virtues of going for a walk have, have been greatly lost by men I think women go on walks together uh or they'll you know They'll just take time apart. But I think as men, um, I think we need to do that more. Any other practices you have that would be more, um, you know, adaptable for people that aren't in that space where they're creating their own schedules?
1: Oh, well, yeah. uh, The pushback here would be, um like so the the machinery what was the what was the that was the the description you gave Por- cor- industrial. corporate industrial
2: complex, complex. it's one that of it my, is. It, it's second to my favorite phrase of the last decade which is religious industrial complex but God, that's a whole nother that's another podcast
1: they're really similar um <laughs> they are so similar' they're so similar <laughs> it might be this might be the same problem um so uh the the reason that monstrosity wins is because it it keeps a calendar and it forces its calendar on you and you're not wrong like you don't get to just say like well i've decided to make tuesdays my self-actualization day and so to hell with your meetings like you don't always get to do that some of us do i would say that part of why (laughs) part of why those monstrosities win is because they convince us that we lack the power that we do have you're not Mm. wrong like yeah like you're supposed to be there at eight, and then you leave at four or five, and like that's that's on the calendar. But we get convinced, and we we believe that we we relinquish the actual power that we do have. So yes, the, the monster has a calendar, and it forces itself on you, a hundred percent. Not to be a huge jerk about it, but like one, you did sign up for it, so like that that's a, that's it's still a choice you made. And It's not not a choice, just a bit of altitude. It's not not a choice to walk away. Some of us should from some of the jobs we have. The bigger part of it though, is this, when you talk about like scheduling walks or scheduling, uh, you know, scheduling exercise. The fact that I can, the fact that I have a calendar available to me on which like this the this monstrosity of the business or whatever, we don't have, it's not all a negative. Like my my work life has taken up this chunk. I still get to look at my calendar I still get to make power moves. I still get to decide what I do with my time on these days. And so actually sitting down, looking at my calendar and mapping stuff out over the course of like months because the business knows what it's doing next year. Um, so I should probably head some of that stuff off of the past and say, well, here's a weekend I'm not available and like plan that out eight months ahead of time. Plan that out like the the whether that's like exercise patterns or the vacation thing I want to go on or like, Like that personal trip, maybe it is your self-actualization day. You're like, I'm going to go to the spa. Like whatever your thing is, bro, you do, you go jump on the hot springs, bless your heart. Uh, But like to actually use the calendar to defend Mm -hmm. myself against the onslaught of like other things telling me what to do all the time. I can't do that between eight and four if I'm being told where to be and where to stand. But I can, I can probably point nine months out and say, here's a weekend Here's a day and use my calendar to defend the time to protect my own soul. That's a super key discipline to take that list of passion projects or take that list of like desired things, things that you just do that are enjoyable and actually plug them into the calendar like they're serious things and not just stuff that gets to slip in between my obligations. Yeah. That changes things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and being, uh, accountable to those, you know, the uh, one of my favorite lines from a Neil Young song that, that hits me with that is when he says, you know, tell me why is it hard to keep arrangements with yourself? Yeah, man. I'll show up for Sean. I'll show up for you if we have an appointment, but if I have an yeah. appointment with myself, it's easy for me to blow it off.
1: And it's what the uh-huh. calendar, it's what the calendar does. And it's what the calendar can train us to do is like, and I have an I have an appointment with my, it's on the calendar. And I get the reminder the same way I get a reminder about mm-hmm. something else. I get the reminder. It's on the calendar. I'm not great at just like deciding uh, like it's I, I don't I shouldn't be left to my own devices because like, I'm going to decide what to do with my time and moment to moment to moment. I'm much better if I with envision. Oh, here's like a this is like this is all the stuff like yesterday. I had like a, kind of this brain dump of like this, is the stuff I need to and want to do. So what will happen uh, tomorrow because it's a Friday. Is that I I look through this list and I get on my calendar and I start plugging this crap in. And then I make all these agreements with myself. So mm. that this is this is what I'm doing and this is when I'm doing it. And now the calendar will tell me in a healthier pace and pattern that yes, this is the day you get to do this thing. This is the day this is happening. So it's easier to keep it's easier to keep an arrangement with my calendar than it is mm-hmm. just with yeah. my own little sub-psychologist in my brain. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think some you said something important in there that I don't want to brush over and that is if you do want to grow personally if you if you don't want to be the person that your father or whoever was uh, if you want to be a better dad you want to be a better partner um, that requires some choices and you do have autonomy to make a lot of these choices and one of them is your job and your career and uh, you you know changing jobs in order to have more personal time or to have a healthier life yes that's that's very possible mm-hmm. and um we had rob murray on uh, a few episodes mm. ago and uh he was talking about you know the excuse we always use is well i got to provide for my family i got to provide for my kids and he's like let's just quit bsing like yep. you were pro- you could probably provide making about 30 percent less than what you do 100 and stop using that as the excuse to not change the job or to not make more time or mm-hmm. you know um let's be honest about it and you're just not willing to sacrifice that for this other thing and take- the,
1: like the fact that it's again the fact that it's a hard thing doesn't mean it's impossible. So know that know the difference. Right. Is that hard? Right, right, oh right, my right. God that's hard. It's so hard. It's much harder later down the line to undo the damage we've done to our bodies, to our psychology to our our kids' understanding and and yeah. uh, uh, and perspective on like what happiness is, like yeah. uh, that's harder than it is to like change jobs in your early 40s. It is harder, mm-hmm. without question. And we sentimentalize these things and bless Hallmark for doing the job they've done to make us feel good about things at times. But we do sentimentalize these things when we talk about like you're the gift you're offering your family, like your provision. I mean, I've I've written over and over about this. It's like. You know, like I said, I'll turn fifty this year. I've got a twelve-year-old boy, um, and a six-year-old girl. W- would I like? W- would I trade, um, like all, like the the freedom I had as a kid, um, because my dad made not great money, but he me good enough money, and like we had a house. What would I trade? Like some of those comforts now. Like where like I had to work, if I had to work during high school, because I didn't, like my parents are like, listen, we don't want you to work while in while you're in high school. I got a paper out anyways, cause I was trying to buy things for myself. But like, you know, if, if I had to work if I had to make those sacrifices, would I trade that in order to have him here so that he could know my freaking kids? Mm. In a minute. Not it mm. wouldn't even I I wouldn't even think I wouldn't blink like yeah. I any of it. Like, hey, Justin, you don't get to go on Young Life staff and and like make eight hundred dollars a month, <laughs> idiot, um, because because you want to you know serve God like right out of college instead of get a job that makes actually you know actual money. You don't get to do that, okay? If would I trade that for having my dad around to like watch me sign book contracts and write stories like a hundred percent without without even blinking? So we, we sentimentalize those things until it's an actual reality in our lives is that yeah. you really do have only so many years on the planet. And yes, we can feel trapped by some of the bigger choices we made, but they are still choices we've made mm-hmm. to work for, to work the way we've worked, to live where we live, to have the third damned TV in the house. Uh, like these are decisions we've made and we can undo them. You, you do have power and you, have, you do have autonomy yeah yeah.
2: and as you said it's not uh easy it's hard but choose your heart that's one of my favorite choose your sayings heart. over the last few years is yeah i mean downsizing taking a job where you like to ma- make less money is hard um but also you know having three stints put in your heart and your kids resent you because you were never around and working all the time even though that's they had harder thing they always wanted <laughs> it's a little harder right it's it's
1: much harder yeah, yeah always yeah.
2: Can I uh, can I hijack one other question I have for, uh, for Justin here? <laughs> Sean, yeah. like, when do I get to talk?
1: No, no, uh, that's
2: fine. Uh, I got one more may I I'd like to hear your thoughts on. Yeah, uh, please. This is, uh, may I cease to be annoyed that others are not as I wish they were, since I am not as I wish I was.
1: Yeah. Um, easily irritable person, uh, I am. And um, living in relationship with people, uh, no, I'll give you more of the actual story. So about um, 47 seconds that direction, if I'm running at a decent pace, are like neighbors who are like dear, dear, dear friends. When when I was offered jobs to leave California to like go live in Texas or Nashville, like they were why I didn't, like in my twenties, like they were why I didn't. Uh, Because I wanted to live with these, live around these people. When we we've moved once, uh, I'm just like my parents in this way. Like I, I, you know, my my mom still lives in the same house as she bought in 1976 because she had never owned anything, neither did my dad. But one house, she's like, I'm done. Um, We moved one time, and we only moved because everyone else moved in the same neighborhood. I'm like, great, fine, let's figure this out. Um, went (laughs) knowing, knowing, and loving, and being loved by the same smallish group of men particularly um has educated me in this that 99 percent of the time if i'm annoyed with you it has at least at least some to do with expectations that i have which are mostly predicated on weaknesses and needs that i have so if you're <laughs> pissing me off it's not just because you're a prick <laughs> it's because i'm particularly irritated in these particular ways, which has to do with like the way my soul is shaped. And I only know that because I have these really dear, loving, very truth-telling dudes who are like, bro, you you bitch about this all the time. That's because it's your thing. Oh, so my irritations are still <laughs> my irritations. Uh, and do I want things to change in the world around me? For sure, absolutely. But almost all the time, if I'm ticked off by something, it says so much about me and the ways I need to change. Um, and you know, it's, that ends up being reciprocal. Hopefully the other people around you feel the same, but, uh, that's a, that, that's been a really, <laughs> I'm thinking of like six or seven different stories right now. That's been a really good, hard lesson to learn. Um, it's a, a, it's not just a lesson in humility. It's a lesson in relationship and and care. Like I'm irritated with you because I have things I want and need and expect. And so I'm kind of projecting a lot of the time.
2: I feel like that ties into that first may I that we talked about, about feeling yes. like I don't have to sell people on the truth or what I think the truth is or what I think they should do or who yeah. they should be. And it's yep. very like, man, it just like gives you a lot more peace when you're not trying to micromanage the lives of others, right?
1: You get to receive people as they are and and be received as you are and be okay with the fact like, you have next steps it's, it's, you know, everything is Bob Dylan, right? Bob Bob Dylan's what 67 records or something along those lines, 67, which is insane. And somewhere in the middle there, uh, like record 26 or 27, I think, uh, he, he wrote blood on the tracks, which is one of the greatest song written records in all of music history, but he made 30 records after that. Because what made Bob Dylan great was not just his capacity to write great songs, because he was always committed to his next step, always. Like, there was going to be another record. I mean, he's 466 years old right now, and he's still going to make another record. Um, but like, you know, like he was always committed to a next step, and that's what made him a great artist. I think that's what makes great men, is that we are committed to our process long term, uh, and we're committed to our next steps and that we have the humility to, the humility to receive that uh, that we're not done yet
0: bam that was, that i i think that was a uh, perfectly scripted for an ending <laughs> amen <laughs> you know uh, but um so you so your new book is coming out um you know we'll we'll post the link in the show notes but um cool. it, it, how many how many is this for you
1: how many books are you on? Six. Well, depending wow. on how you count, it seven. But um, because there was one we there was there was one that we did uh, independently. That then we also like reorganized and and pitched to Penguin. So it's kind of seven, but it's really six.
0: Wow, that's awesome, man. So is is each one your favorite, or is it, or is it a whole different canvas, right? Which, yeah.
2: which um, ones? Which ones do you hate?
1: I I do. <laughs> I actually hate. I hate. Uh, I hate the first one, <laughs> um, like just like I hate my first record. Like I hate yeah. the first book, uh, yeah. like mainly because I look at it, I'm like, oh, I could have done all of that so yeah. much better. It's your, it's your <laughs> shitty first draft. Let's it's see. the shitty yeah. first draft, and it's yeah, just, yeah. Th- it's just that I published the shitty first draft. <laughs> yeah. <Right>. yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yep.
2: But tell us about this
1: new one. Yeah, sure. The book is called Sacred Strides, and it it ties into a lot of stuff we're in that um, in this conversation that has to has to do with legacy, has to do with um, happiness. Um, it's about uh, work, rest, rhythm, uh, but not just so that I can like develop a good rhythm between work and rest, but because, but so that I could live a peaceful and beloved life. That yeah. uh, I don't want to try to find balance between work and rest. I feel very alive as someone who works, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, like hustle and hustle culture. Huge. Let's, let's roll. Let's do stuff. Uh, I'm also a fan of the contemplative tradition. Like let's take a step back and like get altitude on my life. I think both things are uh, I don't want to say they equally true. They're, they're both true. In fact, the way Parker Palmer says is that like um, action and contemplation are both rooted in the same place and they return us to the same place, which has to do with belovedness. If I know that I'm loved by the world around me, by the people around me, by God, then I can work my ass off when I want to work and offer myself completely, and I can step away from that work and still be okay or quit my damn job if I want to and be beloved regardless. Uh, contemplation and action are rooted in the same place, and they return us to the same place. So it's a book, uh, 16 or 17 stories, of my journey to recognize my own belovedness in the context of both rest and work
2: i, I hear a little richard roar in there somewhere
1: there's a little there's a little roar in there
2: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well uh justin in the words of stephen garber uh, we should take a walk sometime uh, and I, I feel like we have a lot more to talk about with you and to hear absolutely from you in but uh thank you so much for this time today uh we're gonna we do a little thing called after the interview where sean and i get together and talk about all the things that we'd wish we'd talk to you about and cool. uh, the things that stood <laughs> out to us so Great. you've you've got to tune into the podcast to hear that um <laughs> but uh thank you everybody else for joining us thank you justin and um we'll be back in about 15 seconds my pleasure Welcome back to after the interview and uh, since I monopolized most of the conversation on this podcast I will kick it to Sean for his initial thoughts on the, after the interview.
0: You know what I, I disagree with that John. I I don't think you did and I didn't even feel like you did and I think if you listen back you won't think you did either but um, no Justin, Justin uh, you know I wish we had more time. I, I, there's definitely going to be a Around two with him, um, he is just a, such a gifted storyteller and communicator, and um, I just really like uh, who he is. I felt like we just scratched the surface, but there was quite a few um, little gems in there that I thought were worthwhile and um, reflecting on, um, especially the the part of you know I have to believe what's going on in me right. Before I try to convince other people of what the truth is, right. Whatever that truth is. And, um, I think confirmation bias is real in all of our lives, Mm -hmm. right. Whether it's doesn't matter, whatever we're looking for or struggling with, we kind of want other people to confirm it first before we land on it internally, you know? Um, and so whether that's what he intended or, or not, um, I think doing that work without, uh, sure. Other people can help you process, um, your journey, but we love proselytizing and I, you know, I'm that way, right. With fitness, you're probably so sick of me posting, you know, things about how important fitness is, but, um, but I think that's a really good practice, right? Uh, do I believe me? Mm-hmm. It's simple, but kind of profound, Right. Like, do you do you believe you? Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think I think sometimes the things we're the most defensive about or the most aggressive about are the things that we feel the most insecure about. Mm-hmm. That's just my psychoanalysis, maybe. But I feel mm-hmm. like those things we feel the most secure about and certain of and at peace with, um we can be more relaxed about right like or yeah and maybe it's just a maturity thing over time of right you know like over time you become more i don't know if you just become more lazy or tired or you become more wise (laughs) i think there's a fine line between all of that uh i i do think uh part of what we get credited with maturity on is just not having the energy to do the stupid things we used to do Mm. um but but you know what i'm saying like over time you begin to see your own journey of enthusiasm and, and then see it kind of like level out. And then you kind of can more peacefully let other people have their own journey and yeah, encourage them along the way, but not feel like you've got it. They need to get where you are or believe what you believe immediately. And yeah. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. Another simple
0: thing, you know, you love, application i don't know you know we're six episodes in or something now but you always ask for the application which is good because i never you know i'm too lost in the conversation um but you know when he when he said about honoring your calendar Mm. um i mean that's so true right and kind of controlling the the power you do have their 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 calendar is a year in advance so um exercise that power too and honor it. Um I think that's that's really important. Uh you know, you pointed it out. Not all of us work for ourselves and have the ability to kind of create our calendars. But he mentioned choices too. And um in a previous podcast we talked about it. But I think and we actually I had my family in town this weekend and we talked about that in length, right? What what options do we have? How many choices do we have? How did you end up here? Right? You weren't just placed here, whatever, wherever you're at, you made choices to end up there. Mm -hmm. So you can make choices to, to shift that. So I think those two things are really critical for people to, to feel empowered, right? The worst thing you can do that's a joy killer or the vision killer or to kill your creativity is to say you're powerless, right? Whether it's your vocation or your relationship and nothing can change and it's just not it's just not true um the the process out of it um may be painful and have a high cost but you still have a choice to to make a change of direction right and i think we want power without the pain you know like we want to have choices that are only good right they benefit us and there that the power could be and there's going to be a, you know a lot of painful choices to shift direction and grow and
2: but you know, freedoms on the other side or more freedom. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything has an opportunity cost, right? Right. Like, yeah, I mean, if you're choosing to shift your job to where you're somewhere that you're more flexible or have more family time or have more uh, autonomy, or I would say have more uh, work for a leadership that respects you and your boundaries and respects your relationship with your family you might you might be making less money you might yeah. not be living in the house or sending your kid to the private school or whatever but man like i think if you look down the road and you look back and you look at like what you really want to develop with your right. family and in your life and then reverse engineer it i think it makes sense, right? I think um, it becomes yeah. easier to make those choices. You know, there was something that I'm, I, I I wish I'd mentioned that um, I I've, I've shared with you that a, a friend of mine uh, said, and that is that um, he he said when his child is born, he imagines a grid with eighteen squares on it because when that child is born, at the most he's going to have 18 summers with that child, mm-hmm. 18. That's not a lot. And the first four or five <laughs> don't really count. Right, right. And so what are you going to do with those? Like, are you going to take the trips? Are you going to visit every major league ballpark? Are you going to hit national parks? Are you going to carve out time and invest in time together? Or are you just going to let it fly by and think, I wish I would have put that on my calendar you know? So yeah, Yeah. the calendar rules, the world, right. Rules your life.
0: Yeah. When he talked about, you know, his dad committing suicide when he's 24, you know, that was, uh, you know, he's like, he was essentially let down because he was trying to build something for us. Right. That didn't work out, but he forgot that that 14 year old kid with the stamps, you know, was was still going to be around and that business is long gone. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's simple, right? These aren't complex in nature, but they, but they require intention and commitment. Right. I think that's a, that's a big thing. It's very easy to be distracted. Um, as life progresses and what you think is necessary or what needs are, but, um, but the equation actually, isn't that, isn't that complex?
2: Um, I think this would be a great that. opportunity for a PSA for therapy uh, as if I don't mention it enough, but I would say like, if you're listening to this and we all have our different reasons that we don't make the right choices. Sometimes it's because we're people pleasers and we don't want to upset our boss. We don't want to disappoint our boss by leaving and going somewhere else. We don't have feel like we have a voice to speak up and set our boundaries and say, this is what we want. Um, fear of, lack of provision maybe your whole life your parents never had enough and so you're like overcompensating whatever our reasons are we all have our reasons but it's really really helpful to have somebody help you think through those reasons and work Mm. through them to where you're not bound by them and they're not they're not determining your future right it's like deal with your past or your past will deal you your future that's just the reality of it so I would just encourage you. Um, if you're hearing all this, you're going, man, I really want those things. And I, I don't know how to get out of this pattern of not making those things happen. I would look into finding somebody to help you do that. Yeah. And the last thing, you
0: know, is that it was at the end of it. So kind of, we all just heard this, but, you know, he was saying that great men, people are committed to the process for the long term. Hmm. Um, that is true as well. Um, and I think maybe because it hit it hit home for me, right, like the uh the idea that um you know, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but someone had and I've heard it a few times, you know, like, oh yeah, you're so kind of fortunate and lucky to live such a crazy life, right <laughs> and uh. And I'm like, first of all, you don't know all the bad days and bank account balances and stresses involved. But um, to me, it, it is this being committed to the process, right? Like I know what drives me. I know my why. And I have since I was 18, really, and I'm just committed to it, right? And I've made, I've made decisions that are in alignment with that um, when it doesn't make sense to a lot of other people so maybe I just found comfort in it, you know, hearing it from someone else again. Um, because especially, you know, when we talked about midlife and, you know, the QB going from the from the tape room to the to be, you know, behind the the center, it looks a whole lot different. It's a lot faster, but still, I find I find rest in that, you know, just being. I've, I've been committed to the process for so long, um, that it is true right all the other kind of distractions and fears are generally external but they're not real um and they don't really hold the weight of why you're doing what you're doing and and they only short circuit you or make you kind of react out of emotion and and then you're kind of more lost right so and i don't i don't think he meant great men are committed to the process um like great men i think great men is just like men that are solid, you know, or men that are, I don't know. Did I, again, did I hear that wrong? Or am, am I projecting myself? I know. I don't know that, that
2: he said great men, but he said it's important to be. And so he talks about the process. You talk about the process all the time. I've heard you mention the process. I think it's a fair question to ask for everyone and myself. When you say the process, what do you mean? Hmm
0: yeah I, th- I think being committed to the process for me is being consistent over the long term in my relationships and in why I'm doing it, right? That's a process. It's like a consistency in my approach mm-hmm. um to it. You know it's not this constant uh, I don't know who I am, right? My compass isn't spinning, right? My compass feels like it's on track. And so I know if I treat people a certain way, and the space I want to create for those people, that's the process for, for me, right? And being consistent and committed to that mm-hmm. um, for the long term. You know, the money might may increase or decrease, but my commitment to that process of making people feel known may create spaces that are grounding and um, foundational in the community. That's uh, that's what I'm committed to and keep trying to be consistent in. Um, so. That reaffirms
2: that's... to me that we. This goes back to our last podcast. I think that we should really do one of these on helping uh, people create their own mission statements and why statements, yeah. and because that is that compass of, and it helps you make decisions, right? Like, yeah, okay, well, this is a great business opportunity, but does it? Does it really fulfill my why? Does it really? Yeah. Am I using my time, energy, resources? towards something that's achieving my ultimate goal not just to make more money
0: yeah when you're committed to the process too i think i quickly know when something isn't right you know so whether it's an opportunity or something else it just doesn't sit right so if you're committed to what you know to be your process your path um your why you can you can quickly filter out Mm -hmm. opportunities or distractions you know and that's that's helpful yeah, but that's a, that was pretty much it for me. You know, that was a quick, I think it was 40 minutes with Justin. We were on a little bit of a time crunch, but uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, if we have uh, a second go with Justin, I would love to delve more into this uh, idea that we touched on of how our fathers embody both things we want to be and things we don't want to be. And as mm. a as an evolving man, uh, how do you sort through that, and how do you process that, and you know, learn to let go of or to um, grow beyond those ways that you don't want to be, and how do you gravitate towards those things you do want to be? And as someone who's in that final stage of life with my father. Um, I understand how over time you begin to focus more on those things about them. You know, at nobody's funeral, do you ever hear everyone give a laundry list of all the things that annoyed them about that person? (laughs) Right. Right. I really would like to see an honest funeral. Uh, Oh, so would I. Oh, so would I. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, I think that's one way of, uh, that we grieve as we kind of let go of the bad and hold on to the good. Um, But what if we did that more while people were alive? And what if we did that with ourselves more? So I'd be curious to delve into that with him a little more. All right. Well, if you've hung on this long, thank you. Uh, And uh, we do encourage you to please uh, follow, subscribe, like, rate, do all those good things for us. Um, and uh, we we look forward to, uh, we've got a bunch more of these lined up uh, and we look forward to uh, sharing them with you. If you have any ideas for us, people that you'd like to ha- uh, hear on the podcast, uh, give us a, a shout, john at knownexperience.com or sean at knownexperience.com. Uh, until next time, thank you again. And uh, we hope that you will continue to experience the power of being known.